Good evening, saints. Tonight is July 31st, 2019, and the title of our message tonight is Redefining the Line. Amen. We have a guest speaker tonight, Pastor Eric. I'm a sub not speaking tonight, but there is something that is worth mentioning. Have I ever told y'all that that beautiful blonde on the front row belongs to me? (laughs) Honey, it's been 26 years. And about 26 years and one hour ago, we stood at an altar exactly like this one. That's proven to be one of the wisest decisions that the Lord ever allowed me to make. I want to express to you in front of this congregation an adaptation of Proverbs 31. I want to do it in a public fashion because that's what Proverbs 31 is all about. is publicly praising a woman of noble character. So we're going to do it right here and right now. The whole world will get to hear our love language for the first time. Jennifer, you are capable and vigorous and have become my lover. That makes me so happy. The strength of leadership that you show as my wife is intoxicating. You are powerful in the spirit and serve it as as an example, both among the other women and in our family. There's nothing God could have blessed me with that would be as valuable and as attractive as you are. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. My confidence in you is well placed. You've transformed our home into an extension of God's kingdom on earth by reflecting the Stevens family banner so beautifully. Walking with our king in compassion, hard work, peace-loving speech, constant worship, and spiritual bravery has made you a constant blessing to me. Each day I look forward to coming home because I know that I will find you diligently and joyfully working on something to bless others. The revelation that flows from your love for Jesus is like a savory meal for my soul. It strengthens and inspires me to want to worship him as well as you do. I'm not the only one who's noticed. Your steadfast service has garnered the blessings of the Lord. And he has added to you female disciples everywhere. Women in every congregation wait to be fed by you because they want to become just like you. Like Jesus, your food has become doing the will of God. You have counted the cost and are joyfully meeting that cost. Your loving obedience is producing an eternal harvest that nourishes God's people. Never one to rest. You're constantly serving others. And yet, you still summon the spiritual strength to expertly shape our daughter. It's quite a task, too. I see so much of her reflected in you. You've succeeded in protecting her heart from the world. From your monitoring of her cell phone to your instructions on her clothing, you have been a wall between her and all harm. She will grow to be just like you, and some young man will be all the better for it. Watching you minister to others causes my passions for you to rise. You are constantly surrounded by people, and yet you burn brightly late into the evening with me. Seeing you live selflessly makes it hard for me to contain my love for you. You manage to work as hard as anyone I have ever known while keeping a tight grip on constant joyful worship. 
This is not just admirable. It's also super sexy. Continuous hospitality to a never-ending flow of disciples through our lives has moved the Lord to be as open-handed with the blessings towards you as you have been with blessings towards others. You have every reason to be confident that you will be rewarded by our great shepherd. I feel richly rewarded by him right now. I'm in love with you, attracted to you, addicted to you, because you live out his teachings. All fear is gone. I am confident that you will handle every difficulty in our future selflessly, joyfully, and generously, which is irresistibly and overwhelmingly attractive to me. My love, you're as life-giving as running water and as precious as pumping blood. Your behavior as a mighty woman of God has distinguished you in beauty from among your peers. Our sons and I, we're held in honor because of the family line that you helped to build. The family has your very best qualities, and everybody praises me for it. Everywhere I go, you have set the example for what a godly, attractive wife looks like. You have grabbed hold of the divine, and you have hated wickedness. So the Lord has given you joyful discernment that protects our family, and it provides for the body of Christ. It seems that the Lord's eye is constantly on you, and I can't take my eyes off of you. The Spirit has filled you with dignity and strength, tenacity to accomplish all that is ahead of you. You will never have a reason to fear. Your mouth flows with peace-loving speech like a wind blown from the very mouth of God. Those spiritually sensual, loving lips have saved my soul on many occasions and swayed me from sin on many more. I love the way that you're always chasing after the will of God. It makes me insatiable in chasing after you. It's not in you to rest on your accomplishments. You're always hunting for the thing that moves the heart of the Lord. And because of it, you've stolen my heart. Seeing our children have children, it forces me to acknowledge that we've been married for decades. But honestly, I feel like the time has flown by. Each day feels like as new and as fresh as our first sunrise on the morning after our honeymoon. I'm longing, earnestly excited, and eagerly anticipating adventures in every area that lies ahead. And I only want to have those adventures with you. You are my dove, my perfect one. From the beginning, you stole my heart with one glance. From the first time I saw you, I was captivated. I've only fallen more in love with you as each new daring step of faith has surpassed your previous accomplishments. I'm charmed by your beautiful voice, and I'm impressed by your staggering beauty. But what I find most attractive is what I see you doing for the Lord daily. My love, you have become a sign pointing to how women of God should behave. Your life is setting the high mark that others should be aiming for. Your deeds are a monument to the love and faithfulness of Christ displayed in the perseverance of an amazing woman. I long to praise you and give you your share of what your behavior has produced in me. I wanted to say happy anniversary, and I know that I don't normally do this, but I got you flowers for the second time in 26 years. (laughs) Come here, my hun.
After listening to that right there, your takeaway should be there's no possible way that you could leave tonight with an understanding that our teaching that we've received from the heavens doesn't work. As I watched Eric do that, and I watched Eric and Jen, something special was happening. It was like that moment that you saw in a couple of the weddings that we just had recently, where the bride comes through the door, and right at that moment, you can see the groom, and the groom and the bride, their eyes meet, and something special happens in that moment. What Eric has just done has revived that feeling in their relationship again. It, it's brought them back to that very first kind of love and encouraged it and fostered it and made it grow back again and made it grow even deeper than it ever was before. Guys, the revelation that the Lord is giving to this church works. If you need that kind of passion and fire re-injected into your relationship, the easiest thing to do is to go back to what was already taught and start implementing it and putting it into practice. I think uh, Pastor Eric has an Appendix A to his patents uh, that he talked about on Sunday, to his patents of nobility. Speaking of patents of nobility, I am still chewing on some of the concepts of that message. That was a tremendous message. We wanted to remind you of a couple components of that message because today we're going to be building on it because it was foundational and it's worthy to be built on. In that message from Sunday, we looked at some actual patents of nobility, which had the crest of the king or ruler and the seal of the family beneath it. That's a message in and of itself. We could preach on that all night. We discussed our lack of nobility in the world's eyes, but how we have the chance to receive real nobility through the word of God. If we hear it, retain it, preserve it, and produce something with it. Come on, the seal on your own patents of nobility is intrinsically linked to what your life produces and will produce. And noble seed in the noble soil of a good heart always, somebody say always, always. it always yields noble results in your life. Amen. We talked about some ignoble actions, seven in particular, that have no place, say no place. No place in a noble family. Come on, that first one. We spoke about sexual immorality. We spoke about lust of any kind. It has no place in a noble heart and a noble family producing noble actions and deeds. That has no place in your heart. If it's there, destroy it. Destroy it now. Having a soiled attitude because you don't get what you want. Wives, you need to love what God loves and hate what he hates. Your husband is not here to appease you, to make you happy, to um, compromise anything about you, but to make sure that you are reflecting him accurately. Amen. Come on, we talked about trading nobility for sensuality. Look, right now we, we just need to get it out there. We need to throw those yoga pants away and meditate on the word of God. Start meditating on the Word of God instead of getting in your yoga pants and doing whatever else you do in those things, okay? Bear with seeing 
Social media and being seen by men or true devotion to the Lord. Which one is it going to be? The days are coming to a swift close where we elevate athletics, where we elevate social media, where we elevate occupation in our children. These days have to come to an absolute end. We're hoping to move you toward that conclusion tonight as we begin to preach and we begin to share what the Lord's spoken to us. We want to move you to that same conclusion in your own heart and not give you any wiggle room in this standard of God. These things cannot, will not, should not be elevated in our homes. The only thing that should be elevated is the revelation that the Lord has given your family and the very Word of God and the Spirit of God at work inside of you. Whatever is being produced from that should be on the pedestal of elevation in your home. Anything else deserves to be kicked down to the curb. Amen. Amen. Allowing and even introducing your children to video games instead of pressing the word into them and training them for the real world. You know, I got a real big problem with this one <laughs> because the results and the evidence that we're seeing from video games yeah. is astounding. It has created a generation of mindless youth. They don't know how to think for themselves. Please, I beg you, parents, let's put an end to this. Amen. Let's put an end to this. Let's not allow this. It is nothing but harm to your children. The last one that we talked about was uh, luxury or maybe just wanting things. To, man, can't things just be a little bit easier? Do not fall into the trap of luxury. Do not fall into the trap of taking an easier road. This, this path that we're on is the path that the Lord has set from the heavens, and He set it for a reason. And it's not because it's not necessary. It's because we as a church and we as individual family units need the path that the Lord set before us. We need the challenge. We should be, we should be hungering and thirsting and desiring the challenge that the Lord is setting before us. Because as men of God, we absolutely have to have a challenge. If we stay home from the challenge, then we get ourselves in sin and all the other things that we've been laying out tonight already. We have to have a challenge set before us, and we have to go after it and watch the Lord come through and help us to win that challenge. Come on, Daniel. Somebody say amen. LCM is a large house, and in this house, there's a wide spectrum from ignoble to noble. And so my question tonight is, where do you stand in this array? Which side are you on? Do you want to be performing ignoble nonsense, or do you want to be noble and serve the master and make him proud? Where do you want to be? Noble. Come on, Hay Street, where do you want to be, man? Noble. <laughs> okay, also on Sunday, we got to see some aged pictures of the Stevens family. Do you guys remember those? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Titus, you're going to be a, a very stunning old man. You hear me? You're going to be a stunning Stevens when you grow older. I'm excited to see that. Also, today is the Stevens anniversary, which is so fitting because we get to celebrate this and we also get to celebrate the way that the Stevens family line has been radically redefined, starting with Pastor Eric and trickling down to his children and now his children's children. And it's a beautiful homiletic for tonight because that's exactly what we're talking about. Redefining 
the line is the title of tonight's message if you missed it at the beginning. In a sea full of corruption, there are some who refuse to be corrupted. There are some who are straining towards being formed into the noble name of Jesus Christ. It's hard work. It's a strain. It is not difficult to stay online, but it is entirely possible. We have proof in this house. You know, Daddy, I'm disturbed. Come on, Nick. I'm disturbed What's because up? when I think about corrupted family lines, it just makes me want to drop an F-bomb. A what? It makes me want to drop an F-bomb. <laughs> Who's ever heard somebody drop an F-bomb before? Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I have. When the world drops an F-bomb, they say something that... Uh, I don't know. When the fabricated, fictitious, fraudulent church of today drops an F-bomb, they say, fun! <laughs> fun. <laughs> when someone born from above drops an F-bomb, they say, faith! Oh, come on, somebody say faith, faith in the house of God! <laughs> Who's the father of the faithful? Somebody turn to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to start tonight. We better hop into the Word before we get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> Look, we're praying tonight that faith is the F-bomb that reverberates throughout your generations. Yeah. So we go to Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had... Genesis 12, 12. The Lord had said to Abram, 12, 1, I'm sorry. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. This verse became very interesting as we were studying it. We found in the complete word study Bible something not only interesting, but very inspiring. <laughs> Check this out. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land I will show thee. Wow, that is pretty inspiring. I know if the Lord was speaking to me and he said, get thee out, well, I would probably get out right then and there, and I would not pass go, I would not collect 200, I would go. It doesn't matter if he said where I was to go yet, I'd be out of there. Do you guys remember uh, where Abram came from? Do you remember Joshua 24? Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, it articulates that Abraham's father, Terah, was an idolater. You know, in, in Jewish history, they actually go as far to say that Terah was an idol maker. And he wasn't just some um, idol maker on the side. He was an idol maker for a king. That is incredible. Abram's line is pretty much as corrupted as corrupted can be, except he had an encounter with the Lord, yes. and it redefined his line yes. forever. Somebody say forever. forever. That is a family line that was in desperate need of being redefined, and the only thing that could have done it was an encounter with the Lord. We see three main elements here in Genesis 12 verse 1. We see country. We see people, and we see Father's household. We're going to dig into these three for a second because it's important to us tonight. The first one, leave your country. 
get out of the environment that you're currently in. The Lord's saying, look, this environment that you're in, this idolatrous way of life that you've been brought up in, this whole thing that's going on right here, you need to get thee out. Get thee out and do not return. I mean, get out of here immediately and don't look back. Don't do anything but get out anywhere else but here. Useless activities. Sacrificing the things of God for meaningless things. Baj, I want to hear about your life. I, I want to hear a testimony. Because your life is powerful to me. It's something that I learn from every day. I glean from every day. I enjoy being around you. Can, you. can you speak to us a little bit about this first country aspect of what Abram's being called out of? Well, the country aspect means that we had to realize very quickly that these activities that we were involved in, this useless waste of time that we were engaging in, had to stop. What was I doing in those days? Neglecting my family, for one, because I was deeply involved in sports. I love to play rugby and hockey all the time. That was a passion. I love to hunt all the time, but never with my family, rarely with my family. Sometimes I would take them along. Racing cars, that was a big thing for me. I'd take off early Sunday morning and be gone all day. Flying, nowhere really, but just flying because I like to fly by myself. An incredible waste of time. Incredible waste of time when I could have been doing family events and family affairs and raising righteous kids at a very young age. That's good. Let's talk about leave your people. This is an interesting one. Yeah. talks about forsaking the pride you've based on your origin. But let me ask a question of you guys here tonight. Who had control of the location where you were born? Who had control over the race, the color of your skin that you got born into? Yeah, we, we got the really short end of the stick here. Not in every way, but in some ways. Who had control over... Uh, I mean, nobody, none of us had control over our origins. I mean, we literally just got born into it. And for some reason, we have the craziest nationalistic, neighborhood, religious, uh, ethnic... Eth uh, yeah, ethnic pride, and it comes from nowhere. It has, has nothing to do with you at all. I mean, literally, it's, it's nothing at all. But this thing from the world, it gets pushed into us and pressed into us and ingrained in us, and before long, we're getting into fights because somebody is uh, offending us because of the color of our skin or the religion that we grew up in or what, whatever it looked like. We're so offended to our very core. Baj, can you talk about, to us about some... Maybe silly family traditions or silly family obligations that you grew up under. Well, you know, being such a proud Serbian at one time and being offended by anybody that would look down on that, especially somebody like, for example, from Croatia, that would really bother me at uh, one point in my life. And this nationalistic mentality where we're the best, we have Tesla, we have not much else, but we're the best, you know, we're, we're the best, yes, we have... There was a saying in Serbian that my that dad used to say all the time, uh, speak Serbian so that the whole world could understand you. What? I mean, really. The fact of the matter is, who cares? And you know, most people, when you say Serbia, they don't have a clue where it is. Nobody knows where Serbia is. It just doesn't matter. Look, we're, 
Are you guys ready for some blunt truth tonight? Look, if you're not a Jew, then nobody cares who you are, okay? That's just the, that's just the fact of the matter, okay? 99% of us sitting in these chairs tonight are not Jewish, so we can, we can look at each other. Uh, come on, I mean, let's, it's safe to say that nobody cares where we came from, okay? The only thing that, that is important is that we are having encounters with the Spirit and the presence of God that is changing and redefining our family lines. That's the only thing that matters tonight. Look, this third aspect, leaving your father's household, I got to say that it's probably the hardest one. It's probably the most difficult. Creates a separation from the wicked people that you're being called out of. You see, if you're being called into the kingdom of Christ, if you're being called into another kingdom, if you're being born again into something, then that by definition means that you are leaving, being, being born from, being taken away, separating yourself from something else. That separation is so necessary to the life of a believer. Physically, leave. Mentally, leave. Emotionally, leave. All aspects. You're required to leave, not just in the physical sense, you're required to leave in your thought life. You're required to leave in your emotional state. That belongs to Christ now. That belongs to His body. And you don't have the ability, you don't have the right to steal your emotions, your mind, your thoughts, where you're physically standing your feet. You don't have the right to steal that from God. You belong to Him completely. You're, you're just an unworthy servant now who belongs to Him and is at His every bidding. Let's hear something about that, Bosch. So almost 30 years ago, maybe closer to 31, my wife and I, my beautiful redhead wife right there. We were freshly married and clueless about any of this stuff. But however, we did notice that the pressures of biological family from both sides, it's about to kill us. It was, it was bringing so much conflict with them and between us because you're having to dodge two families all the time and my mom this and my dad this. It was just a mess. It was a huge mess. I mean, we're sitting there one day and something came over us. We, we looked at each other and said, you know what? We need to stop this. We need to decide right now that this kingdom only belongs to us. Not to auntie, grandma, mommy, daddy, none of that. It belongs to nobody but us. And so we did have a meeting and we decided that. And, you know, the parents were pretty compliant. They didn't do too badly. I mean, they kind of understood, well, you know, they're kind of grown up and let's let them do their thing. But... It was a half-hearted separation. Half-hearted separation because what we actually did was, yeah, sure, we agreed to start building our own kingdom. But, you know, a call for dinner twice a week. Let's go and attend this function. Let's do this family day. Let's go praise some family saint. We were kind of in there a lot and we were ourselves a lot and didn't really make the disconnect very well. You know, so that was kind of a half-hearted separation. It didn't go too well. In this family, in this family right here, there is an open door to life with a new family. New family. In other words, I'm not going to go to you. If you want to hang, come see me. 
Come see me. Come, come and see me with my family. That's, that's the challenge. You love your country. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. This is how an entire family line gets redefined. Look, if it was true for Abram, then it's true for us too. He's the father of all the faithful. As his life has gone, our lives should be going as well. As if, if you're struggling with completely and totally redefining your family line, you're struggling with that separation, you're struggling with these things, look at the life of Abraham. Look at what he did. Look at how he dropped it all to be exactly where the Lord called him to be. Look at the example that he set before you. Look at the physical, the mental, the emotional status of his family. They followed him to the ends of the earth and they were exactly where the Lord called him to be. And they finished where the Lord called him to be. Let's turn to Genesis 15. Let's talk about this second encounter for a minute. You got to go through the first. You have to have that first encounter. Where you set your feet and you say, this is where the Lord's called me to. And I can be nowhere else. In verse 1 it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your very great reward. Imagine hearing this from the Lord. This is beautiful. I am your shield. Look, if you're severing ties the way that Abram did, you have nothing to worry about. You, you don't have to worry about the backlash that you get from any level, the world, your culture, or your father's house. You don't have to worry about any of that backlash because the Lord says, I am your shield. I am your protection. If you are in my will, then nothing can hurt you. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can come against you because if I'm on your side, then it doesn't matter if there's thousands and thousands that stand in opposition to you. The Lord will be a shield to you if you follow his will. He said, I am your very great reward. Look, the rewards that come from the Lord's hand because of your obedience do not even compare to your past life. Don't ever forget that. Look, when times are hard, don't ever forget that the way that he richly blesses and rewards those who are obedient, those who he loves, it does not even compare to what you, the muck that you and I were wallowing in before we had an encounter with him. You got to make a move. You got to do something. You don't get a reward for sitting around. You're sitting on your butt, not doing anything, is no reward. You have to move. Abraham moved. He left. He took it and he left. That his reward came once he took that step. Let's go to verse 2. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You know, Abraham, his reward was never about what he would receive from the Lord for his, for his obedience. It wasn't about that. He was obedient, but he wasn't interested in getting a reward for that obedience for himself. He wanted something that he could pass on. Yeah. He wanted something that he could give to somebody else. His one desire... His one desire, I want somebody that I can pass this on to. That's what he wanted. He wanted another generation that he could teach these glories of God to. 
Look, when that's your desire, look at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Man, do you believe tonight? Are you of the faith of Abraham tonight? Do you have that same kind of fervor in your soul? Look, hard times, easy times, times where you've got to dig deep, times where you've got to catch a lower gear, times that are difficult. Look, do you have that faith of Abraham that is constant in your life? That says, I believe the Lord and his righteousness is still being credited to me even though I do not see it yet. That is the saving faith that is granted to all of us who believe. The Lord is even more concerned about what you do with your time when you're not here than when you're here. We wanted to make sure that we mentioned that. The Lord's really, really concerned with what you're doing with His time that we call our time. So He's actually concerned about what you're doing when you're alone at home? Oh my goodness. That's an interesting thought. You're out there with your other employees, how you're behaving. But I worshiped really hard tonight. Oh, yeah. Okay, I just wasn't sure about that. (laughs) What might your total, all-out, zealous, full-hearted obedience bring about in your life? You see, it's about trusting the Lord. It's about an actual kind of trust that shows up in your actions at any point in the day. Your trust in the Lord dictates every action that you are doing in your life. If you trust Him, what you do as a result looks completely different than if you're living without trust and trying to make the same decision about a situation. You see, you know if you're walking in trust-grounded obedience to the Lord or not. You know if you're walking of the faith of Abraham because it especially shows up on the portions where you're separated and kind of on your own doing your thing. Do you trust Him in those moments? We have to get grounded on the faith of Abraham. Trust the Lord. If you feel like you're stalled or you're not getting anywhere for a long period of time or you're not hearing, you're going to have to question your trust. You're going to have to question how much you trust because really it's such a simple tenet of our faith. But it's everything. The more you trust and the more you lean on the Lord, this is how he will provide for you. So if if things are going awry or, or not the way you think they should be, speak to him about that. Because this is important. I mean, it's going to require a reckless trust for the Lord that is going to lead you to do things that will even surprise yourself. Amen. Trust Him. Imagine, if you will, in this country, 12 churches. 12 churches. Dozens of mature disciples sending out covenant families to start churches everywhere. Can you imagine that church? Amen. This is going to require a lot of trust. <laughs> It's going to require you to leave everything and allow the Lord to rebuild your family line exactly the way He wants it to be built, not the way you want it. Come on, let's turn to Genesis 18. We're going to be reading in in 18 and 19. Say there when you're there. Come on. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Wow. 
At this point, Abraham's line has become so redefined that he even got a new name in the midst of all this. He's a completely different person. His family is following the pathway that he is laying out for them. What about verse 19? For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So once again, in a very interesting discussion with our brother Ohad, we have discovered a, a yet another truth from the Bible. In verse 19, it says, I have chosen him. Well, according to the Hebrew, a more correct definition would be, I know him. I know him. I know him. This suggests intimacy. This is not simply the Lord choosing somebody and sending him on his way. This is the Lord getting to know somebody, having a relationship with somebody, and vice versa. I know him. Yada. Yada. God and Abraham have a relationship with one another. They are close. They know each other. This enables Abraham to have something to say to the next generation coming after him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He walks with the Lord, and now he can look at his son and say, Man, you wouldn't believe what I heard today from the Lord. I mean, you can just imagine this conversation. And it happens to this day. It's amazing. But he's such a good example for us. The Lord is saying, Abraham's intimacy with me will give him what he needs to raise the next generation after him in righteousness and justice. So this intimacy, what does that look like? It looks like obedience. Obedience through the generations. This is how the Lord's going to bring about what he promised. Obedience. Yeah, do, you guys, do you guys see that in Abraham's life? The Lord gave him a promise. His obedience kick-started the promise. But it was obedience through the generations that actually brought the promise of Abraham to fruition. The obedience through the generations was what enables us to enjoy what we enjoy about God's kingdom today. Because obedience through the family line occurred. That's what brought about the promise. That's what will bring about the promise. Come on, who wants to be obedient in this house? Amen. Let's summarize what we just learned about Abraham's life. Firstly, Abraham left all he had. Abraham trusted his God. Abraham commanded his next generation. Abraham redefined the line. Somebody say redefine the line. You know, Daddy, David also redefined the line. Let's turn First Samuel 22. Somebody say there when you're there. Come on, I know some of you guys have read this passage before. Come on, it says David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, Brothers, father's household, they heard about it. They went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Look, David's brothers came to him. David's father's household came to him. Did you say brothers and father? Yeah. Brothers and father's household. David wasn't wavering in his convictions. 
David wasn't bending to the wishes of his previous country, people, or household. David's resolve to stick to his deep convictions proved to everyone else that his convictions were actually born from above. That's something that we need to hear tonight. David's resolve to stick to the deep convictions that the Lord had given him proved to those around him that they were born from above, that they weren't of human origin, that it wasn't something that he was just making up or he felt passionate about in the moment. He had deep convictions from the Lord and his actions based on those deep convictions, sticking to them, no matter what the circumstance, his brothers and his father's household took note, and they actually flocked to him. Look, the hungry ones desired it, and they came to David. Stop begging those who aren't hungry. Stop begging those who do not want what you have. Stop begging the ones that are like, yeah, I see what you got. I see your convictions. That's amazing. No. Stop it. Let them see your life firmly grounded on your deep convictions. Look, if they get curious, if the Spirit of God begins to draw them, they know exactly where to come, I promise you. But the only way that they know where to come is if you're standing on the deep convictions. If you're not somewhere else messing around, and then, okay, I'll come back. I'll come back to these convictions tomorrow or sometime when I feel more passionately about them. Guys, faithfulness over time is the name of the game. That is Abraham. That is his life. That is who he was. And that is the faith that you and I have. 1 Samuel 22, verses 3 through 4. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him as long as David wasn't in the stronghold. We know that they came looking for him because he asked the king of Moab if they could stay with him. They went looking for David. His parents went looking for him. What do you suppose he was demonstrating for that to happen? (laughs) A real faith because we know that this family didn't particularly get along. They kind of cast him into the pasture when kings were being chosen. They didn't really like him, but they sought him out because of the way he was living. They liked that. He had such a reckless abandonment for the Lord. Even his parents showed up where he was. Even his parents. How many can say that in this house? It's a sore spot for a lot of people in this house. For me, too. I understand. But we're waiting for them to come. Still. We're still waiting. That's how you affect your lost relatives. You live. You don't compromise convictions. You live out your true faith and your trust in God. You do not bow down to schedules. You don't bow down to traditions. You don't bow down to anything they say. You have to stand with the convictions that the Lord has given you. And you have to live up to the standard of the word. Of course, you may not want to rock the boat because what happens when you when you touch a mess the dog makes, it's, it smells, right? So it's better sometimes just to leave it alone. But maybe, maybe rocking the boat will actually stir up something in somebody. Maybe if you lived strong for the Lord and didn't compromise and didn't give up or back away, that's a demonstration of something good too, isn't it? Wow, yes. Rock the boat. It's okay to rock the boat. You might actually create some movement. 
The way I showed up to this church is by way of my son. I heard that he was coming here, and I was hearing about it and hearing about it. And finally, he came to the house when he could tear away from you. He finally showed up at the house, and uh, we were talking. You know, we, we talk in different ways, but this one way, that the way I yada my son, the way I know him, it was different. Something had happened. And he looked at me in my eye and he says, Daddy, you got to come. And it was that look that I recognized. This is not a joke. This man is serious. When he talks like this, I know there's game. Yeah. Pretty soon we came for a visit, and that's pretty much the end of that. We, <laughs> we never looked back. <laughs> but... Uh, but the reality of the matter is that uh, the Lord was looking, and we were looking, actually. We were kind of plateauing where we were, and we were kind of praying about what we're going to do. What a blessing to end up here. But the Lord had a lot of expectations. He had a lot of expectations. He expected us to leave everything. He expected us to leave country, people, and family to get here. And we did. And, uh and we still haven't looked back, and it's, it's been an incredible blessing. Amen. Thank you, Sonny. <laughs> David left all he had. Come on, David trusted in his God. David commanded the next generation. David redefined the line. Amen. In the book of Ruth, chapter 2, 10 through 13, we see wonderful things. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, oh, come on, Boaz. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Just like Abraham, Ruth left her country. She left everything. She left everything. She left, she left her people. She left her country. She left her people. She definitely left her father's household. Come on, pick up in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What should be running through your mind right, right now is the passage in Genesis that we just read. The Lord through Boaz was Ruth's shield. He was her very great reward. It was because of Ruth's reckless abandonment of the ennoble things in her life. The Lord was rewarding her, protecting her, providing for her in every area that she could have desired or imagined. Verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she asked. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. She's a Moabitess. She's nobody, a dirty Gentile. She's nothing. She's like all of us. Like me. We don't have a claim to anything. We don't really have anything that we can say. Truly ignoble, all right, but favored by the Lord. 
All right? Truly ignoble, but favored by the Lord. We come from nothing. We're a bunch of nothings. But the Lord favored us. He did. Ruth left all that she had. Ruth trusted in God. Ruth commanded her next generation. They took their place in the very line of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Ruth redefined the line. Turn with us to Mark 3.31. Come on, now we're picking up steam, guys. You feel that? <laughs> Come on, when you get to Mark 3.31, say there. 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 Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The more you leave ignoble things and stick to the noble, in this house you will find more and more brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. So let's leave all the games and let's leave all the nonsense and the waste of time. Let's forget about the extracurricular. Let's get focused on what the Lord says for you to do. Again, if you're in a funk, go back to the last thing he told you to do and get that done. But let's do things that are about noble. Look, Jesus left all he had just like the others. Jesus trusted in the Father just like the others. Jesus commanded the next generation to come after him just like all the others. Jesus redefined the line. The radical transformations that have happened in this room, the supernatural healings, the level of revelation that has been freely given us, the amount that the Lord has spoken to us personally, we are a blessed people. Who in here has not benefited from a teaching in this place? Because there's so much. There is so much. And if you, don't, if you don't think you've had enough, there's more. There's plenty more. Who in here has been healed? Amen. This is what it's about. This is what happens when you stick to what the Lord has for you and forget about this nonsense, frivolous stuff on the side. Let's not do that. Let's stay focused. Yes, amen. We really have a unique opportunity in history to redefine our family lives forever. Amen. We, we really do. Uh, this historical moment is unique, and it is, it's been provided for you and for me. The Word is going to help us sidestep some common entrapments found in the world that we live in. We've got three for you tonight. We want to run through these common entrapments. The Word clearly defines them for us, and it's going to help us to sidestep some of these things that we don't want to find ourselves uh, uh, getting destroyed by. Amen. The first is Isaiah 39, verses 5 through 8. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is definitely not redefining the line. What is it? This is severing the Ooh. line. Come on. 
This happens when you only consider yourself. Me, me, me. I want for myself. I want to store up for myself. I want the best for myself. And not worry about anyone else around you, but not even worry about what's coming up behind you. Severing the line. That can't happen. That cannot happen. The word of the Lord you have spoken, Hezekiah answered, is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. My lifetime. How selfishly ambitious is that? Not to consider anybody else. My lifetime. It's only what I want. It's only what I need. It's all that matters to me. Hezekiah didn't leave all. He stored up. He thought that he could actually sandbag God. He didn't trust in God. He trusted in the physical security that he could ensure for himself. Hezekiah did not command the next generation. He was too busy, engrossed in his lifetime and no further. Hezekiah severed the line. His sons became eunuchs. Let's go to number two. Second Kings chapter three. Somebody say there when you're in verse 1. Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Catch this. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Joram is an interesting character because you see the big external idols that were in his father Ahab's life, he took down. He destroyed. He didn't have the big external idols at play in his life, but he was still a slave to sin in his heart. He still had desires in his heart that the Lord was not pleased with. You see, the generational curse was causing him to be severed. Not causing him to be redeemed like he was destined for. Longing for luxury. Longing to be entertained. Longing for the next vacation. Longing to save money out of fear. These are all things in our heart. Entrapments that we get entangled in. And maybe even overcome if we don't deal with them. What in your life isn't present on the outside? Because that would just be embarrassing. But you are definitely battling that idol inside of your heart. And you can't seem to destroy it. What, what is there? That's an entrapment. That's something that doesn't look like the previous generation. But it's still present and it must be deal, dealt with. It must be dealt with and it will be dealt with tonight. Guys, whatever you feel the Holy Ghost getting at right now, that's what He wants to deal with you tonight. That's what He wants to free you from tonight. That very thing. Don't let the absence of an outward physical idol distract you from what is present on the inside. Let's get free tonight. Yeah, your 401ks and your big houses and your nest eggs. That's not trust. Our third example comes out of Revelation 2, 20 through 27. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. 
By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. We are very proud of most, if not all of you in this house for the way that you're advancing. We, we really are. But are there any little idols left? Any little idols that need to be taken away, destroyed? Is there anything left that you're still tolerating that you shouldn't be? Is, is there anything in your past that you've learned from your parents that needs to go? Is there anything left like that that needs to go away? Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift. If the Lord is tugging on your heart, if he is giving you an opportunity to repent and you deny him, this is a very dangerous game. If you keep denying him, maybe you won't get another chance. If there's something in your house that is unclean, if you need to scrape the walls and get that mold out of there, let's do it. Let's not wait. Let's take the opportunity while the Lord is going to allow it. Let's do it. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Look, James 4.4 is very clear. Friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Look, it's time to repent from the ennoble practices that are leftovers from the previous generation. It's time to repent from the ennoble activities of the world that are still on the walls of our homes. The ennoble practices of the world that are still in the, the dark places of our minds. It's time to repent from these things. I will strike her children dead, he says. God speaking. Friendship with the world produces. It's a sure way to sever your line, not refine it. Not redefine your line. How close have you allowed the world to get into your actual home? How close? How close is the world? Sever that tie and get redefined tonight. The Lord searches your heart. He searches your mind. Not because He wants to say, aha, because He wants to show you, hey, that right there, that's what I'm talking about. I'm searching you out. That's what I want to work on right there. That's what I want to free you of. That's what I want to redefine in your life so that your children don't have to deal with the same thing. Come on, church. Let's get this tonight. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. Family, it is time to get a hold of your households. It is time to start raising a family of righteousness. Raising a family in holiness. It is time to destroy the ignoble things and destroy them just like you would pottery. Drop it and let it be destroyed. Sweep it out of the way and let's move on. You have authority from heaven to do these things. The Lord 
gives you the authority to act this way. It pleases Him. It's time to get going, saints. Look, the fact of the matter is, the Lord commands you to leave all. The Lord urges you to trust Him. Holiness, absolute obedience, makes you a generation commanded by the Lord so that you can in turn turn to your next generation and command them rightly. You can redefine your line and it can start tonight. You can further redefine your line and that furthering of your line can start tonight. Somebody turn to Hebrews chapter 12 with us. Therefore, since we are surrounded, since we are surrounded, my dad and I were overwhelmed with this concept. We're praying for our next generation. We're praying for our children. We're praying for the children that are to come. And there are generations surrounding us right now. Generations of the faithful. Faithful witnesses. Faithfully lived their life in their generation and passed it on to the next. And they're surrounding us. And it says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Amen. Guys, the generations before us are watching us. Come on. We're in an integral part of history right now. Yeah. And we have a unique opportunity to grab a hold, redefine our name, redefine the, redefine the Rehosora family. Redefine the Clement family forever, forever, indefinitely through the generations to redefine the Clements. We have an opportunity that Stevens and new Stevens will be completely and totally redefined forever. Such a unique opportunity that we have. Throw off what hinders or entangles tonight. Throw it off. Establish your deep convictions forever. If you're wondering, what are my deep convictions? It's based on the conviction that you're feeling from the Holy Ghost right now. That's what it starts. A deep conviction starts with the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart and saying, this is what you're doing, but this is what I want you to do. And I want you to do that forever until the day you die. That's where it starts. It starts at altars just like this one. That's where you get your deep convictions that stick with you forever. It starts right here, guys. You walk around as a man, not really with any deep convictions whatsoever about anything. Grab a hold of this word and do something about it. And I guarantee you'll be standing firm before we know it. Amen. 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 Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Our eyes are on Jesus, but whose eyes are on you? Who's watching you? 
Maybe you don't even notice the little rugrats running around your house. But I can promise and guarantee you that they are watching your every single move. What you are is what's coming up behind you. There's really only two ways to raise a family. Out of the will of God, out of obedience or in obedience in the will of God. What do you prefer to do? Let's get a hold of it, saints. It is time to get rid of the games babysitters and the TV babysitters and whatever else you can think of just to get them out of your hair and start raising our children. It is time to start raising our children. Parents and grandparents, it is time to start teaching our children. Redefining your line is not easy. But what is more important than having a redefined line in Christ? What is more important than that? What is more important than that? It's the nobility of Christ. If your line is formed out of that, that is awesome. Got to blaze a new trail. Endure trials with joy. Scorn the shame of the world around you. If you get picked on, you get picked on. That is the way of the kingdom. If you get hurt, that is the way of the kingdom. If you die, that is the way of the kingdom. How do you think your kids are going to learn this if you don't put up with it? If you run from it, what do you think they'll do? They'll be cowards like you. Let your kids experience all of your trials. Let them in. Be transparent with your children. Show them what suffering is about. Because when they grow up, it won't be such a travesty to them. It'll be a matter of the kingdom. Show them how it works. Don't hide anything. Don't, don't lock yourself and discuss it with your wife and come out like everything's beautiful. Show them the trials that you're experiencing. They need to know these things. Amen. Complete transparency. The Lord always wanted righteousness to grow from generation to generation. That is what we are going to accomplish here. And we hope that every single family, every single one of you will join us in accomplishing that. We want to do this together with every single family in this room. We want generation, uh, generational righteousness to be an exponent every generation that comes after us. That it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows until the return of Christ. That is what we are after. Psalm 78, just listen to this scripture. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born. And they in turn, would tell their children. Can you see the vision? Are you catching the vision yet? Your unborn children, based on what you do, tonight, tomorrow, and the next day, the decisions that you make, the deep convictions you stand on, the encounters that you have with the Lord that change your experience forever, those are the things that will mean salvation for generations after you. Stand on your convictions tonight. If you're wavering, if you're convicted by the Holy Ghost, then get some new deep convictions. Stand on them tonight. 
We're going to destroy the Hezekiah spirit that has enraptured the culture that we live. That spirit says, at least things will be good in my lifetime. The answer to that is hell no. Hell no. It takes a lot of effort to watch the next generation and to teach the next generation to take things further than you did. It takes a lot of work, but that is our expectation. That's what we're looking at. I want my son to do a thousandfold what I ever achieved. I want that. Does everyone in here want that for their kids? The only way that the kingdom makes it is based on that. If we just keep rolling the same way, everything pretty much stays the same. But if our kids do so much more than we do, things exponentially accelerate. That's what we want. Don't brush trials aside. Don't hide anything. I want to reiterate that. They need to understand what it costs to be in the kingdom. Share testimonies with them. Confide in them. Let them build a trust in you because of the things that you share with them. You have nothing to hide. Don't assume that your children will learn the right things just intrinsically. Presume that your very purpose is to tell them. Don't watch your children drift out into no man's land. That's how they get completely out of hand. Make them tremble at your command. We're coming up to our last scripture. Stand with us. We have our sights set on the obedience of a thousand generations. Exodus 20, verse 6. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Showing love. The word is chesed. Loving kindness. The Lord's loving kindness to a thousand generations starts with us. Starts with you and the generation that you are charged to command. It starts right here. You got to start somewhere, right here. You and the one right behind you, right here. The Lord's loving kindness awaits your obedience, church. Let's be obedient to what He says. The plan is not that difficult. It's hard work, but it's no way impossible. Let's be obedient. Church, I heard, I heard in prophecy during worship before we got up here that the, the way is narrowing, but the gates are open for us. I'm overcome with the thought that we can't stay here. <laughs> We've got to move forward. The promises of God demanded in our lives. We can't stay in the same place and expect that we're going to grow. We can't stay in the same area of the path and expect that things are just going to work themselves out. Look, the promises of God are too precious. Our time in history is now. Now is the time to be redefined all over again. To be refined all over again. To grab a hold of what we need so that we can forcefully advance the kingdom of God and not look back. Now is the time, church. I feel 
the Spirit of God working on your hearts as He works on mine. Look, the fact of the matter is, is that I don't, I don't want to be left behind by the Lord because I valued something foolish instead of something, some treasure of heaven that He wanted to reveal and give to my generations after me. That's not going to define my life. Will it define yours? What do you need to do tonight to redefine your generation so that the generations after, for a thousand generations, until the king returns, we will see righteousness springing forth from them? That is our desire tonight. Father, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to show us to show us that the way is narrowing Lord God but you're producing a desire in our hearts to take the next steps forward to blaze a trail forward not worrying about what is behind we're leaving it behind and we're pressing forward pressing forward into you God Father would you help us praying that you would develop deep convictions in the hearts of the men in this room that they would never back down from them, mighty God. Lord God, that those deep convictions would echo into the generations after them. Mighty God, that it would echo into eternity, Father. Lord, that we would rule our homes in righteousness, Lord, so that we would be worthy to rule the places and the people that you're calling us to. Father, do your work tonight. We say, use whatever tool necessary. We desire you to work on us tonight. And we will give you the fruit that you desire from our lives and our children in Jesus' name.